on this episode of EdTech, Milestone has bought Vadio. What does that mean for the industry and for the tech managers who use both products? What do you need to know when you're purchasing projectors for your classrooms? And what is the state of short throw projectors? All that and more next on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 42, recorded Tuesday, April 5th, 2016. Greg's not here, man. EdTech is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like FSR. This is EdTech, the monthly look at the education space for the AV industry. My name is Tom Albright. I am your host. With us this month to talk about that very thing, Mr. Mike Tomei from Tomei AV. How are you, sir? Good, Tim. Doing really well, thanks. Uh, also with us is Ernie Bailey. Ernie is from the beautiful state of Arkansas at UAMS. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Enjoying beautiful spring weather right now. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very nice. I'm just north of, of Ernie in St. Louis, so we typically have something similar uh, of weather. Also with us is my comic friend, Mr. Bill O'Donnell. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I wish I had your same weather. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm hovering in the uh, sub-20s. Ew. So that's, uh, well, not 20 below, but it's like 28 degrees right now. So you are officially freezing. Um, I would like to say that I believe uh, Mother Nature is drunk. She probably is. Um, and last but not least, please welcome him. Be nice to him. His name is David Huckleberry from Purdue University. Good morning, sir. Good morning. And uh, I guess in Indiana, I will probably have all the seasons during the course of the show. So, well, yeah. Uh, we'll go through all of them. All right. Very good. Uh, just just so it's been mentioned, we're recording this on, on April 5th. Uh, last night, the uh, the wonderful UNC Tar Heels lost uh, to Villanova. None of us are represented here. Is that correct? No correct. alma maters, no nothing. All of nope. us have been out since the first round, most likely. <laughs> yes. Okay, very good. Right. My, school's a, my school is a D3. Believe me, we never even had a chance. Well, yeah. that's what happens when you go to, you know, Hoboken Tech. Hey, hey, hey. That's Jersey, that's Jersey City State. That's, that's uh, uh, Harvard on the Boulevard. Oh, anyway. uh, yeah, yeah. That was a New Jersey joke, kids. All right, here we go. Uh, first and foremost, bright spanking uh, in the afternoon yesterday. Um, got the word and the news that Milestone AV has acquired Vadio. <clears throat> if you're not familiar with either co- with either company, please stop listening now because this podcast is not for you. Um, <laughs> so Milestone AV, big company in the AV industry. They own Chief. They own um, Daylight. Uh, they also have a couple other uh, European-centric um, brands as well. Um, they are based out of out of Minnesota or Eden Prairie, technically, but basically, you know, a min- min- the Minneapolis area. Vadio is a an exciting company um that does a lot of really great uh, innovative things um primarily in the camera control camera um transport market they have cameras as well they also are one, were one of the first companies to come out with a uh, a a professional commercial um uh, audio and video converter into usb that lets you use c- professional grade equipment for soft codecs now before we get started, I, I, the, the way that AV Nation works is we try to be as agnostic as possible. Both of these companies are underwriters for AV Nation. So I'm going to try to tread lightly here 
and let you guys do all the talking. <laughs> um, that is the, the story in, in a nutshell. Uh, Mr. Tomei, we'll start with you. What does this mean uh, going forward for both companies? I think it was a huge announcement. Um, I'm a big fan of both companies. I, I use products um, from Milestone and Vadio. And uh, yeah, I think it's a huge uh, story. I, Vadio um, makes really nice products. They uh, A lot of people talk about how they're, they can be on the expensive side of things, but um, their AV bridge alone is worth it to me. I like um, putting those everywhere now. And um, when you compare, uh, the price of that to like uh, conventional video conferencing codecs, uh, it's considerably cheaper and um, seems to be the way most people are going. So I think this is huge news. Um, the one thing that, uh, the, the first thing I thought of is if you've ever read a, a Vadio instruction manual, they're real quirky. They throw in a lot of jokes in there yes. and um, they're fun to read. So uh, hopefully they don't lose that because uh, that's always uh, exciting to read a, a Vadio manual. But um, But yeah, I think it's, it's huge news. I was um, actually really surprised to to hear it. So, all right, uh, Mr. Bailey, we'll get you on this. What do you uh, What do you think of this merger or this acquisition? Technically, is what well, it is. Uh, I want to agree with Mike. I I like both both companies. I'm hoping that the that we'll see an influx of R and D money into Vadio. Uh, I like what they do. Uh, they're easy to work with. We had some problems with a. Uh, software company we were working with quit accepting uh, motion JPEG as their video source. And we had just installed about a dozen AV bridges uh, to bring our Vadio HD cameras and our mixed audio into into the soft codex uh, in this. Uh, We called Vadio and they said, give me the, your contact at your uh, software company you're working with. We gave it to them. They called me back 45 minutes later said, we just shipped them a camera and codec or, and the AV bridge that you're using so they can make it work again for you. And six weeks later, they had a software patch and our system worked again. Uh, hmm. So, you know, working with a company that's willing to do that, uh, was, you know, is really good. Uh, one of the former members of this uh, elite group uh, when he was uh, working with the university is now an applications engineer with Vadio. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, uh, I like working with them. We, of course, use chief daylight products all over the place. So I'm happy with them. I'm, uh, I guess, Tim, the biggest concern I have, have you just lost an underwriter? Well, you know, you're not the first person to ask that in the last 24 hours. I don't think so. I mean, uh, as, as luck would have it, it's 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 so we ask our underwriters for for a yearly commitment. Um, uh, the um, they, they're both on different cycles, so we'll have to find out, right? So who knows? It depends on how they do their marketing. Um, I will say Milestone has has started to to bring everybody under run, one roof, and I think that's a good idea for them as a company. Um, they still have their their, their individual brands, but they're, they've started to market themselves as Milestone. Uh, as a, as a brand, and I think that's a that's a good idea. So we'll see. And and thank you very much, Ernie. Ernie referred to to this very show as as elite. I'm not sure it is, but uh, but you guys are. Uh, and and our buddy Mike Brandis, uh, when he was at, at West Palm, uh, I believe was the name of the university before he went on to, on to audio. All right, Bill. Uh, what do you what do you say about this? Well, 
Um, it's kind of an interesting uh, move. It is an interesting move. It's good uh, for Milestone. Uh, I tend to see this more of them trying to kind of diversify because uh, if you noticed, uh, another company, Peerless, um, has kind of diversified themselves. They no longer make just bent metal um, mounts and everything. They've gotten into the AV business as well. Um, the big thing, though, is that Milestone has a lot. They have a pretty good array, and I, you know, much like Ernie, I'm hoping that they they pump some more money into the uh, into the R and D. Um, particularly, I could see it where Chief would start making things where, oh yeah, here's a uh, all in one. Um, you know, here's our our wall mount that also, you know, we now have a a custom mount bracket that will also fit in. Uh, you know, your little AV bridge or you know one of their um, one of their one of their smaller products, so that you can have kind of an all-in-one. Um, you know, I mean, obviously they're not making the displays, but when you make everything else, it's like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you go for this? Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm actually very happy with that. Um, I'm, if anything, I'm actually kind of curious as to how Mr. Brandis is uh, uh, taking all taking all this and everything. Who knows? Maybe he's you know maybe he's gonna end up uh, going from software engineering to uh, mechanical engineering. I don't know. That would be very interesting. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Mr. Huckleberry, uh, your first shot at the, at the plate. What do you think about this? All right, here we go. I guess I, I looked at it from kind of the standpoint I look at all the mergers of it gets us closer to being able to deal with fewer, uh, fewer sources. Uh, we have milestone equipment. We have audio equipment across the campus. So as they start to, to merge those products and merge the support for it, it makes it a lot easier as we bring in uh, new staff to be able to support similar interfaces. And uh, we, we work a lot with the PTZ cameras from Vaudio. Okay. And we've had some, some small issues in the past of, of maybe some of the uh, controls of making the PTZ camera, especially we use some of the USB ones that you talked about. Um, so as those the R&D ramps up on that, we'll be able to see that come from one source rather than two. And, and some of the things that we do in various locations, we won't have to have different code for different locations so that's that's my hope of any any merger and usually in this area yeah it's a good idea very good thoughts uh one thing is is we did an interview with with scott gill the ceo of milestone um you can go to the website and, and check it out avnation.tv um and we asked him about that very thing about the kind of merging together milestone has has a, a setup with uh, for the reps and, and the representatives most of them are direct employees, right? Where you have a couple different uh, styles of, of reps in in the industry. There's basically two, and I'll, I'll simplify it. There are more, I'm sure, but one is you you work directly with the company for the company, right? So there are um, our buddy uh, Mark Coxon is is a milestone employee. He he reps Daylight. Um, then you have the independent rep route, right? Where um, I know that Vadio currently is independently repped. Uh, uh, Sapphire uh, Marketing, Marla um, uh, Suttenberg, they rep Vadio in the, in the Northeast. So it'll be interesting to see how that all kind of shakes out and plays out uh, in, the, in the coming months to see exactly how they go to market with some of those. So, all right. Uh, next up is Project Doors, and a, a young up and coming man by the name of Bill O'Donnell wrote this uh, for AV uh, Network. Um, <laughs> What are you gonna qualify something before I get into this? No, no, I'm it. I'm quite proud of it, and uh, I'm I'm quite happy to have uh, Margo as my editor. You anyway. should you shouldn't be proud of this. Margo did an awful lot of work on this. Uh, six <laughs> essentials of managing oh. higher ed projectors. So Mr. O'Donnell goes through and recommends some things such as standardizing on the manufacturer, 
end of the year spending is good for lamps and end menu lockdown. So, Ernie, we're going to start with you as the the senior member of our our little group here. Um, did Bill get some things right, or did he did he miss some things? Uh, I think Bill did a very good job uh, putting this together. Uh, it sounds like conversations I've had with with different people over the years. Uh, I will say that we have found number two is not always true. Lamps do go bad sitting on the shelf occasionally. Uh, now it's been several years since I've been through that, and that is becoming no longer an issue for us because we've decided that unless it's a very special purchase, our projectors will not take lamps anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, we're seeing laser projectors coming into the mainstream, but as far as, you know, what he said, I, I love, you know, his organized approach to it. And uh, he covers the main points you need to think about when you're putting in multiple projectors on a campus, you know, standardizing on a manufacturer, uh, and, you know, like you said, there's always debates on who's the best. What I've found is that doesn't really depend on the manufacturer as much as it does on your uh, service in your, your, your area. You know, uh, there have been times we've been real crazy about a certain brand, and I'll talk to people in another market. They say, but when they go down, you can't get them fixed. And I said, well, that's what I like. When they go down, I can get them fixed. And then they'll mention another brand, and I'll say, well, that's the one I never can get service on. So uh, you need a good support network for whatever manufacturer you're going with. Uh, you know, we yes, all of our projectors are networked. Uh, we're trying to do as little RS-232 connections as we have to. Uh, we're sticking with, with IP wherever we can. Uh, locking down the menus where, you know, they have a, Volume and an input button is our preference, if if that much. Uh, but I, I think it's a very good article, a uh, good blog. It's you know concise, it's to the point. It's not dragging on. Bill, I think you did a very good job. I wasn't asking you to compliment him. Good. Lord. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. The, the ego's already slowly ending. David, what are some things that, that maybe we could add to the list then? Uh, that you could add to the list? Uh, probably a good training program. Uh, it, I, I guess I'm going to show my, uh, my area that I usually work in. They always talk about support. Um, but one of the things you get out of having the, the standardized manufacturer is that end-user support, uh, being able to give them some kind of documentation, or we use videos a lot. I actually had a question, though, about number three. Uh, I've heard you talk in previous about the video being carried over the IP network. Is anybody starting to consider um, carrying your video over a different network, a different wired network than what you carry, like your wireless access point, or are you just going to kind of bank on the fact that the AV world is going to um, do a better job of decreasing bandwidth uh, that it takes to carry video over? Do I get to ask questions? Yeah, them? absolutely you do. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. We do not run video over IP unless it's in a closed system in a room. Uh, the, peop, you know, the network engineers on the other side of the wall with me would shoot me if I started doing that <laughs> start out with. Um, so that, that's, that's not a, That's exactly why I ask. I, think I hear them cocking their guns from time to time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 a matter of um, you have to kind of speak your language, um, especially because I'll make this joke. One of the one of the only reasons that my IT uh, our network admins like me is because they're like, oh, he has a CCNA video, and I go, uh huh, I, I got that a number of years ago, and that was when Cisco first acquired Tamburg, and it was pretty much memorizing their product line. But wow, it doesn't matter. They're like, oh yeah, no, that's a whole thing. You have anyway. the badge. That's what you need. Yeah, no, they're like, oh, he has a CCNA. Oh yeah, all right, he he, all right, he can talk our language. Jeez. But, um, hey, welcome to welcome to William Patterson. Anyway, the when it comes to video over IP, um, I, I as I say, it's still there's still a couple of things that are are still kind of I'm gonna say in beta mode right now, mostly in that, um, how do you you know when it comes to voice over IP, yeah, you can. As I say, you have a certain amount of jitter and lag and everything like that, and you have allowed uh, acceptable uh, uh, lag times with those and everything. You actually, you know, there's, it's actually set and established. I don't think that's been set in video. If it has, I, I haven't seen any of the uh, standards or accepted practices yet. Um, and on top of that, just right now, the video, as I say, from a bandwidth perspective, it's just, you know, doing actual video over IP is still, you know, very much a, a bandwidth hog. So... All right, Mr. Tomei. Yeah, I agree. It's just so much easier to set up your own little video network if you're going to. I mean, other than uh, obvious video over IP, like um, streaming services, things like that, where it needs to be on the, the main network. So much easier to set up your own network. I've never really seen a, a robust enough network where the network engineers say, yeah, throw all your video on here, no problem. And, uh, you know, right. usually it's a, a debate. So, yeah, in fact, the closest we have is um, we started playing around with the uh, Kramer Vias, and we actually like the uh, uh, immersive pods, uh, sorry, the Solstice pods. And um, even then, our network folks were like, oh, yeah, no, here, we literally cut you out a separate VLAN. I'm like, well, why can't you just have it on the regular network? They're like, yeah, we gave you a separate VLAN. Be happy we did that. <laughs> but you're like, I have a CCNA. You should listen to me. Yeah, no, that's that that one. They go, no, that's security. No. Okay, so let me ask you guys this, because I'm I'm actually going to disagree with with the three smartest guys you know that that I know when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> is Paul Zealy? Uh, yes, Paul Zealy. Uh, Paul Zealy is a very smart network guy who works for AMX by Harman. So that that's where that joke is. Um, isn't things like speaking of AMX, SVSI or AVB or um, even HD base T to a certain extent, even though that's more more point to point, um, Crestron's um, DM, even though again that's 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 based on HD base T or or their streaming output device, aren't stuff like isn't stuff like that the way that they're doing the algorithms and and they're doing the compression? Doesn't can't that live on the network or is it still a conversation with with the IT folks that you know no you are separate you have to have your own your own private thing. We are streaming certain signals, you know, major events, things like that on campus and off campus uh, across the network. But as far as running all of our video from a centralized location across the network, I think that would be a completely different story. Okay. Uh, but yes, we, we do have, and we're allocated so much bandwidth, you know, we, we can fill up whatever they'll give us. Uh, with our streaming, yes, we put a streaming out card, output card in all of our lecture halls and large rooms, and are wondering why we haven't been putting it in the medium-sized rooms now. 
if we got card slots, we're looking at, you know, can we find the money for the uh, output card? Okay. All right. I'm just curious. I just, I, I'm, I'm looking at more and more video um, topologies and, and, and codecs and, and standards. And uh, we were introduced to AptoVision at at, um, at uh, ISC this year, and, and looking at them, and they're 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 doing 4K, you know, over over they're getting it down to nine gig, and and I understand that's not that's not for this, but I'm looking at all these going, okay, you know, you've got SVSI, you've got all, all these other folks that are that are doing some interesting things. I'm I'm curious as to when it it may eventually happen, or if it'll always you know they'll always say, you guys over there, uh, in the corner, so. Oh no no! I have, I have a way where it's still going to be solved, Tim. You know, I'll, it's, I'll say it in one word: fiber. Uh, yes, that is that is the ultimate solver of everything, and and ultimately none. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, Bin Q interactive classroom projector boasts shortest throw ratio. Uh, this is not necessarily about the Bin Q, even though congratulations to them for having the shortest throw ratio um although it's a wxga which is my biggest issue with it this is from commercial integrator uh bill we'll start with you on this um where are we at when it comes to short throw projectors um because they, they came out in the market and they were like you know they were the latest greatest things the, the professors don't have to have the light shining in their eyes and this that and the other they were limited by by certain um, the the the, uh, the sizes of of the screens. I think the the, the t- when they first came out, the, the top end was either eighty or a hundred inch uh, diagonal. Mm-hmm. Where are we at in this market? Are we are we getting to the point of maturity with it, or are we are we moving into the the realm of they're on their way out? Well, I'll say this from my own perspective: we are trying to get away. Of the the only folks that are embracing it um, are probably our, our college of ed folks. And that's because in their case, they're also still using smart boards and everything, which is fine because that's, you know, that that's primarily we're doing K through 12, uh, um, teaching and they're doing K through 12 environments, which is fine. But you know, for me, like we're, as I say, I was, uh, I was dealing with a, with a replacement from hell the other day. And the fact that, um, there was a, a, a separate uh, short throw projector that, um, was so custom that uh, it shipped the mount shipped from NEC itself. To which I said, "That's amazing! I didn't know NEC made uh, uh, made uh, um, uh, projector mounts." Um, and it was, it was just say, it was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I I, I get the idea of it and everything. But uh, the other thing too is that I, I didn't look at the particular specs of the BenQs, but most of the short throw projectors I've seen probably top out about three thousand uh, or around three thousand lumens or so. So you still, you know, you still need some sort of uh, uh, shading control or lighting control for you know to get to get a decent picture out of the thing. Whereas most of the regular projectors we have are in the four, five to six k. Uh, lumen range and everything so you know it's nice but uh you know we're trying to get away from it all right mr ernie uh your thoughts on short throws well uh agree with bill you know usually we we see the more in the uh k-12 market we do have some specific applica- applications here on campus where we need short throw just because of the you know uh, we have some older buildings, and there's no way to get a projector where you need it, or uh, things like that. I'm looking. I'm actually looking at Sony's new ultra short throw 4K as a solution for one room because there are chandeliers in the way. It's a they're short chandeliers, but they're blocking the light path we need for the projector. 
uh, and the aesthetic committee will not allow us to touch the lamp, the lights. So, you know, I'm giving them the option, you know, you have a $50,000 projector or we put a $15,000 projector in and take down your light. Well, couldn't you just shorten the chain on the light? Is it? <laughs> uh, it's, it's four chains and, you know, we can maybe knock four or five inches off of it. Well, let's see. Work work with the aesthetic committee, Ernie. They they're. I'm I'm willing to work with them, but they're important people. Yeah, as I say, Ernie's slowly trying to work in his uh, his brass his brass uh, smithing business. Yes, you know he's got to raise the chains. No, I this is I I and I I've actually ran into that same committee at at my old school, so I I understand the pain. So yeah. no, I'm 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 well aware. I've I have colonial I, we have a colonial age building uh that I that everyone looks and goes and says, "Oh, we want to put AV in here." And I'm going, "No. No, no. I don't ever want to do that." That's what happens when George Washington went to your school. All right. D- David, uh what uh what do you think about short throws? <laughs> I think it's outside of the obvious K-12 application in the college of ed just because you want them to get practice using what they're going to be using when they go out. I think uh, for the most part, Purdue is anything under 90 inches. We're usually using flat screen uh, displays now, mm. uh, so we're trying to get away from projectors as much as possible, except for those few, like they mentioned, uh, areas. So I don't think there's necessarily a, a long-term huge market for the short throws. Um, I used them when when they first came out with the smart boards. They were great for that uh, because it got away from the the instructor standing in front of the, the light and throwing shadows. Uh, so I still see there's probably some use, uses for it, but I see more flat panels, especially as they get they get cheaper and cheaper. It would be a better better long term solution. Yep. All right, Mr. Tomei, you've got the last word on this one. Yeah, I'm just going to agree with what everybody else said. It's um they they have their place. You know, obviously, um, uh, smart boards they're needed, and um, those unique installation situations. But I I rarely spec short throws outside of those u- unique cases. Uh, like Bill said, they're usually topping out just above 3,000 lumens, um, and they're just not strong enough, and um, you're not going to get a large enough image out of them usually. Um, so I think they have their place, but um, I'm not really specking a lot of them. All right, very good. All right, guys, we'll wrap up here with a with kind of an overarching uh, look at the design phase, and uh, this one was written by our, our very good friend Mike Tomei. Uh, <laughs> so we're just going to tear this article apart for him. Uh <laughs> See what happens, David. Is you 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 get on this show and you get to write things, and then we get to tear it apart. Um, there you go. So Don't worry, I've got I've got other ones coming up too. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> I need I need more fodder. Uh, in all seriousness, um, Mike's been been writing for Campus Technology, and um, how many articles are you doing for this? How many how many faces is this? Well, so it's I have a, a monthly column now with them, but this happens to be part two of maybe like uh, six. So there's Lord, be five okay. or six in this series. So yeah, right. I'm going through, uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going through every phase of, um, AV construction or installation projects and, um, really kind of breaking down each phase and then diving a little deeper into, um, the deliverables that are part of each phase. And, um, I, uh, a lot of people that work in AV support, don't really know how to work with uh, architects or um, construction trades when you have those large design bid build uh, projects. So that's really what I'm focusing on. I um, my first article was in February, so I talked about 
all the different stakeholders that could be part of uh, AV installation projects. Um, and um, so I talked about the owner's team, the design team, and all the contractors that could be involved in these projects. And then I also described the differences between design, bid, build projects and design, build projects, which uh, most people are used to the design, build projects. Um, in my second article, I start really getting into the specific phases. I talked about you know, what I called the administrative phase, uh, just getting the project started, um, getting budgets approved, um, and then forming the design team. And then I, I really start um, diving into the uh, schematic design phase, um, which um, a lot of people kind of glance over on these big projects, but I really stress the importance of writing a, a program report, an opinion of probable cost, um, getting that all approved by all the different stakeholders so you really start your project off on the right foot. So um, those were the first two articles that I've written and um, they're coming out every month in CAM technology and then actually at Infocom I'm going to be teaching a seminar that's um, pretty similar to this. We're going to go through all the phases of uh, AV construction project or installation projects and um, really dive deeper into each phase and um, that's going to be on Wednesday morning of uh, at Infocom. All right, what, what, what times and what's the title of it so people can sign up for it? Yep, so um, the class number is IS02 and um, I believe it's called a phased approach to classroom AV design if I'm recalling correctly. Very cool. um, so it's going to be Wednesday bright and early 8 30 a.m. So, <laughs> oh, you, you evil, evil man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to be an early one, but um, but I think it's really going to be beneficial. I know when I worked uh, in um, on the, the higher ed AV support end of things, um, those first few projects where um, it, it's a design bid build project, you're working with an architect and a, a full design team, a full um, team of contractors it can be tough to really navigate those projects. Um, there's a lot of different phases and, and stages and deliverables that go into those projects and um, it can really get disorganized if you really don't follow a, um, uh, a set um, kind of you know plan for those projects. So that's really what I'm trying to uh, show everybody that you can, you can put together a plan for these projects and really have it laid out nicely. Um, hey Mike, actually, I do have a question yeah. for you regarding that. Um, yeah. When it comes to these, is this primarily based for more uh, new construction or is it for renovations? Because um, you know probably as well as I do, new construction, it's things can kind of move along, but renovations, it's like for example, for us, um, I believe we just got done with asbestos abatement with uh, one of our buildings that may have been you know built back in the 60s or so, and they may have found some additional. 10,000 square feet of surprises. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so do you guys, as I say, do you ever, as I say, is there a difference with that one or is it just really more of your, you're kind of using more broad strokes you can paint a barn with? Yeah, I'm using broad strokes. So typically um, what I'm writing about is going to apply to new construction, um, design, bid, build, uh, mm -hmm. kind of uh, new construction will take that form. Renovation, yeah, you, you, a lot of schools kind of piece out the renovation projects a little bit and um, they might not have uh, architects involved, they might be doing some of that coordination on their own, so not all of it w will pertain to um, every project, but 
Um, but I really try to take you know broad strokes and look at um, look at this from a perspective of a, a pretty large new construction project. And um, and I talk about every aspect uh, and every deliverable that might go into that and every phase that kind of plays into that. Well, and actually, this this is one of the reasons I, I wanted to do the article is because Ernie does does actually uh, most of the renovations, and I've only been involved in one that, that Ernie did. Um, but you guys did go through a, a consultant um, to do at least the renovations that, that you and I went through. How did you? How did that? How did that differ from doing it with with a new build or new construction? Well, like the, like everyone said, there's, it's completely different with a new build. There, you, know, you may bring. You know, we would probably try to bring in a consultant. We did last time. It's been about ten years since we built our last education building, uh, and we did bring in a consultant, and they worked with us on the overall design, keeping you know pretty much going through. Uh, what Mike has here in his article, uh, going through it step by step, making sure that we had all the right stuff. Uh, for the renovation that we've done, where we, the one where you worked on, where we did bring a consultant in, uh, that was one of those, you know, we did the design work in house. We thought we did a good job with it. We put it out to bid, and it came in three times higher than what we thought. So at that point, we hired a consultant. Mr. Tomei was not a consultant at the time. Uh, this was this was about where two, were you? This was a few years yeah. ago. Uh, but we met with the consultant, gave him what we had put out, told him what we wanted, and he said, "Well, everything you want is in here, but you don't have any specifics." He said, "You've left too much open ended," and he did. He tightened up pretty much, just you know, and spelled out exactly what we, what we wanted. We went from a 25-page document to a 95-page document, but we told them exactly what we, you know, instead of saying we want uh, the control system to control all features on these devices, we now spelled out each device, each part that we wanted controlled. Uh, and, you know, so we put it back out to bid, and it actually came in just under what we had initially budgeted. We got everything that we thought we were asking for the first time. But, you know, that's where we go to using a consultant is to help us make sure that we're asking in the right way to talk, especially when we're talking to other trades as well as the AP people. Yep. You know, uh, I did another in-house design. I sent my drawings to the same consultant uh, and said, you know, this is what I'm wanting. This is what I'm putting out. Well, he didn't like the color code of my wires. That was the only issue he had with the plan that I put together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, you know, if, if that's your biggest complaint in my drawings is, you know, I'm not using green in the right way, uh, then I'm going to put it out the way I've got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And see that uh, right there is, is not, not, it's not commercial for, for Mike or any other consultant, but that, that right there is the value of consultants and, and Ernie yeah. actually helped me see that is the fact that they, they cut their, well, they, they cut the overall cost by, by two thirds. Right. right. So, or they make sure that we didn't, you know, like I said, you know, when he, when uh, the consultant came back with those comments, I was able to say to my boss, look, we've, we've put together a good package. It's ready to go out. Yeah. You know, uh, it was worth spending the $6,000 to have the paperwork reviewed. Yep, absolutely. All right, yeah. uh, David. Any any uh, any thoughts on this one way or the other? 
Yeah, when I when I read the article, it's good to have documents like that and lay them out um, with the timeline. Um, we're in the process of building an active learning center that'll come available in summer of next of uh, seventeen. And what was interesting was as we got the stakeholders in uh, two years ago when we started the plan process, they all want to jump to the AV in the room right away. And uh, I think that was good to have a document like that that says there'll be a point in time when we get to that phase. And it's not two years out because who knows what's going to be available and when the time comes to actually put the technology in this room. You kind of build it for a little bit of future proofing of what you can, are capable of handling. Um, kind of be, get your magic ball and look out there of what you think is going to be coming. But um, I think we lost a lot of hours in the, uh, the open sessions, the commentary sessions of faculty who were just trying to say, this is exactly what I want in the room now. I think that's a good a good document, and I like it. I kind of read through it and laid it out based on how our active learning center project has gone, and it, I thought it was very accurate. All right, very good. All right, gentlemen, that is going to do it uh, for another month. Um, Mr. Bill O'Donnell, uh, thank you so much, sir. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty active. I try to be active on. Tr I'm pretty active on Twitter. I try to be active on LinkedIn, and uh, yeah. What's what your what's your Twitter handle if they want to find you? Uh, it's the original OD. There we go. Because uh, I didn't want people just looking one. for for Bill O'Donnell <laughs> on Twitter. Hey, so. uh, as I say, I'm up to 300 followers, I believe. There we go. Uh, I think I have 200. So you're you're beating me. Um, yes. Mr. Ernie Bailey, how, thank you so much, sir. And how do people find you? Well, I've got about three followers on Twitter. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I here I'll find you. I'll bump you up to four. I tweet during Infocom, and that's about it. There we go. Maybe during the voice, okay? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> that was way more information than I needed, Ernie. <laughs> That's worth following right there. Exactly. Uh, but you can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. Very good. Mr. Tomei, sir? Yeah. I, uh, easiest way to find me is my website. It's TomeiAV.com. That's T-O-M-E-I-A-V.com. And um, like I mentioned, I'm teaching at Infocom this year. Two classes, actually. The, um, the one I mentioned pertaining to the articles that I'm writing, and um, also one on uh, ADA uh, compliance oh, very with good. classroom AV design. Very yeah. cool. So both of them are really fitting for higher ed tech or um, academic t technology managers, yeah. and um, I think you can do a search by speaker on the Infocom site, so just um, take a look under my name and both will pop up. All right, so. very cool. All right, Mr. Huckleberry, here's, here's, here's your uh, first shot at this. How do people find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course, and uh, Twitter on at, at Purdue.com, H-U-C-K-A-T-P-U-R-D-U-E. So I guess I'll have to get a new Twitter handle if I ever change jobs. But, uh, yeah, but right now it works. That's where you can find me. Right now it works. So, uh, All right, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me. Um, I typically just grouse about the Bears and the fact that it's baseball season now. So uh, <laughs> go by the website, if you would, please, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. I mentioned the interview we did with uh, with Mr. Gill from Milestone. That's on there. Uh, we have a brand new, relatively new, I guess, uh, residential focus show called Resi Week. Obviously, AV Week happens every uh, every Friday. So, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been EdTech. <laughs>